It's me, David Webb, and here's a highlight from today's show on Sirius XM Patriot. Supreme Court decisions and an issue that a lot of you have talked about. And uh, when you look at what's been going on in the last weeks, you got the release of of, uh, I don't even know the final count of the information of concealed carry holders in uh, in California. You know that's going to get investigated, right? You know this is all going to be uh, sourced and done properly, and uh, everything will be all fine and sorted. It's too late. The information is out there. It cannot be drawn back. And I don't buy the accident, but that's just me. Anyway. To Beth Alcazar, author of Women's Handgun and Self-Defense Fundamentals, also the associate editor of Concealed Carry Magazine and creator of the USCCA blog, Women's Focused uh, USCCA blog. Beth, 6-3 ruling, striking down New York's Concealed Carry law. Let me give it to the audience for, uh, for clarity, as we like to do here. Uh, the facts of the case. Uh, the state of New York required by their law a person to show a special need for self-protection to receive an unrestricted license to carry a concealed firearm outside the home. Uh, Robert Nash and Brandon Koch challenged the law after New York rejected their concealed carry applications based on a failure to show, and I quote, proper cause. District Court dismissed their claims. The Court of Appeals, U.S. Court of Appeals for the Second Circuit, uh, which is over the state of New York, affirmed it went to the Supreme Court. And uh, we had the subsequent decision by the court by a vote of six to three uh, that, uh, no, New York can't do this. So let's start there. Yes, absolutely. I think, you know, so many people are either celebrating or breathing a sigh of relief. Many perhaps have a renewed faith in a system that protects all law abiding. And this is not just gun owners. This is all law abiding citizens. I personally believe it's long overdue. This decision needed to be out. It needed to be made that we don't have to go through some kind of a prerequisite or produce some kind of a reason or some kind of proof to have our right to protect who we love, a Second Amendment right to be employed. And I think, honestly, to say otherwise really meant that the government didn't trust or support its law-abiding citizens. So it's fantastic that the highest court in the nation has overruled something that perhaps New York elite or who knows who else were in favor of producing this quote-unquote proof that you should be able to have a firearm for, you know, protection inside or outside the home. You know, I found it, uh, well, I don't know if interesting is the word, but uh, the way the decision was written, uh, the clarity provided uh, by Justice Thomas, uh, you know, in in writing this. And uh, what what else in this decision stands out? And does any part of this decision concern you? Well, something that stood out for me, I didn't read all 135 pages, but going through Judge Alito, I felt just refreshed and I guess rejuvenated to know that even though the dissent was focusing on things like gun violence, as they term it, or they were focused on 
suicide or the amount of firearms that might be in our nation. He had a very distinguished quote that just sums it up, I think, for most gun owners um, and for the law abiding. He basically said that, you know, while the dissent thinks the ubiquity of guns and high levels of gun violence provide reasons for sustaining laws like that of New York, it's these very facts that cause law abiding citizens to want firearms for self-protection and for self-defense. So I, I love the fact that he was addressing specifically that these these items that were being brought up to go against law-abiding gun owners didn't make any sense at all. And basically, you know, it's a celebration for just the average everyday citizen like me. I'm just a mom with a gun. My reason for caring is my three children and there are so many people in America, not just New York, who have witnessed celebrities, politicians, or elites who have seemingly immediate and exclusive access to security teams or firearms. All of these people who have watched that can now feel validated in saying, my life is just as valuable. And to have the Supreme Court basically line that up for us and, and share that in this document is, is an amazing victory. You know, there's, of course, the blowback, if you will, from uh, primarily the left, the anti-Second Amendment crowd. And you know, their view certainly is not different. It's remarkably different from what the Constitution and, you know, what our rights are. Look, Justice Thomas in the ruling, and I referenced this before, but I want to be clear going forward and talk about the facts and the data versus the blowback, uh, that the guarantee of the right to keep and bear arms protects a broad right to carry outside of the home for self-defense, and that, you know, also... Courts should uphold gun restrictions only if there's a tradition of such regulation in U.S. history. So on the amendment, clearly, and on the responsibility, clearly stated. Facts and data, and I have not uh, been able to go through all of this uh, data. The the release uh, just happened, uh, but a, a, a pretty comprehensive study on the comparison of higher rates of gun ownership and the correlation to gun murders. Uh, this study was done, uh, and it's now out uh, with this uh, data from FBI data, rates per population. The data doesn't back up the hue and cry of many on the left who are, or those who are anti-Second Amendment in any way but then I asked the question, why would the Republicans in the Senate primarily go along with restrictive gun laws that had little or nothing to do with? Maybe there's a discussion around the mental health part of their, their legislation, but an 80-piece page of legislation that as I go through the study on gun murders versus gun ownership in the U.S. per state, gun murders versus uh you know, just through the entire study. When I look at that, it doesn't add up. Legislation based on feeling versus facts. Absolutely. Plus the uh, the whole missing piece from this as well is not just the data that's available on the crime or the violence or whatever people are trying to dig up to show that 
firearms are quote unquote bad or dangerous. What about the other side of the coin that no one really wants to showcase when they're anti-right or anti-gun? Um, the data is showing us that firearm defensive firearms use is upwards of 2.5 million in the U.S. annually, and it's unfair to overlook that or not include that in the discussion. So you might have crime and you might not ever be able to stop all of that crime. But the sad part of of this whole discussion is why are we focused on the law abiding? Why are we trying to restrict them when clearly the law abiding are either quietly sitting in America with their firearms locked up securely and never touching them, or they're having opportunities like this 2.5 million annually to protect themselves or protect others in these different circumstances. The next steps uh, that I, I see developing, besides then let's get away from the, the negative, if you will, and the blowback and the objections and uh, the decision in the case. Uh, on the other side of this, we've seen an uptick, including in New York. New York Post had a story on this, I believe, two days ago. Uh, a significant uptick by law-abiding citizens signing up for safety classes. Uh, that's reflected in many states around the country, including some of the more liberal states and the more anti-gun states with their restrictions. States like New Jersey, where I think it's a 17% uh, ownership rate, but yet crime goes up. Uh, you know, this is part of the data in this recent study. Uh, and, you know, safety uh you know, you can, real firearms, real gun control, as you know, you probably said, I know I have. Real gun control is a, a firm grip and understanding what you're doing, <laughs> among other things. But the fact is the uptick also includes women, and that's something that that you focus on at U.S. Concealed Carry. Absolutely. It's exciting to see because over the last couple of decades that I've been involved with firearms and with the USCCA, I've seen such an enormous rise of the representation of women in the gun industry and the Second Amendment community, whether that means competition shooters or whether that means entrepreneurs or business owners. And it also points to women who are seeking out not just purchasing a firearm, but seeking out their concealed carry weapons permit, and some of them also looking beyond that to see how they can make a difference and getting their instructor certification so that they can share their knowledge and their understanding of safety with other people. And it's that's part of my personal mission. And of course, the USCC, USCCA supports education and training across the board. But for me personally, as just a mom with a gun, it's been one of the best things ever to see other women taking personal responsibility for themselves, realizing that they have options to protect themselves and their families and not feeling the, the fear or feeling the, the stereotype or the other kinds of oppressive ideas that have been out there for so long that say women can't do this. They absolutely can. And it's encouraging to see more and more moms, grandmothers, uh, single women, um, business women, students seeking out this opportunity to learn and train and do something that makes a difference for personal responsibility and safety. You just reminded me of my my friend. She passed on Freddie. She had her pink nine. She was a little, <laughs> little bit fond of that beautiful, bright pink. 
pink. Same load inside as her husband carried, but still still the same on their bath. Okay, so let's go into the Senate bill for a moment, because one of the things in there in this 80-page bill, uh, tougher background checks for gun buyers under the age of 21 and funding for mental health resources in states that have red flag laws. Uh, you know, look... Are there points to be discussed about other parts of this consent decrees, underage, not underage, but say, you know, younger male killers like uh, Uvalde and Newtown and other. It wasn't just about the law because that wouldn't have stopped them. They in the case of Newtown, he had no record. His mother was the enabler in the case of Uvalde as you often do tragically you go back and see that the girlfriend the friends the this you know, the bag of dead of uh bloody cats in a clear plastic bag while he's walking around that these people had problems and the scope doesn't meet the response which which is again what drives me nuts about politicians reasonable assessments need to be done where there is an obvious problem but you can't catch everything and you don't necessarily write a law for the exception to override the norm, which is law-abiding, safe gun ownership. Yeah, and I think with a lot of this, it's it's one of those issues where so many things are being piled up into the into the same into the same uh, language, into the same document. Where you know, ultimately, no amount of legislation that targets the law-abiding is going to prevent criminals from doing what they want to do, and we realize that. Uh, I guess the Bipartisan Safer Communities Act at least makes some significant and encouraging investments in our school safety programs and our nation's mental health systems. But I think that's where more focus likely needs to be. I think we need to continue to encourage Congress to adopt a legislation that makes it easy for law-abiding gun owners to protect themselves, but also focuses on important mental health problems and hopefully hardening schools perhaps allowing teachers to carry if they are trained and they make that decision and, you know, just punishing the criminal instead of punishing the law abiding. I mean, just as simple common sense as a mom, as an educator, when you look at a child who is acting up or doing wrong, you, you have to give that child, that perpetrator, the punishment. They have to understand there are consequences Otherwise, the the bad act and the wrongdoing continues. And if you just try to put that same restriction on all the children, it, it's not going to benefit the ones that are already behaving. And the person that wants to do wrongdoing is going to do it anyway. I mean, we see this perpetually throughout just humanity. This is human nature. This is how people think and act. And it does feel weird when you get to something like legislation where that common sense seems to fly out the window and where, you know, we're focusing on things like red flag laws. We are vehemently against the red flag laws that attempt to enforce law before it's perhaps even broken or deprive individuals of constitutional rights and due process. You know, that is not the common sense. So I don't know where we go from here or what will happen next, but we, we definitely need to get serious about real ways that we can prevent gun, gun problems, um, mental issues, people who choose to use firearms in, in violent ways. Yeah, and look, there are states that have red flag laws, uh, you know, I believe it's 19 states, 
And even when you look across the states, you don't find uh, in broad terms, and I'm sure there are exceptions. I can't look at every state, every case, but you can't find an abuse of this. So why the push to federalize the funding, which is a step to federalize the issue? Exactly. The issue is so much more complex and multifaceted than that. And honestly, I don't think we can just look to federal or state governments for these answers. It would be it would probably be best for us to start looking more closely at our own communities, our civic institutions, churches, schools, and mental health professionals for more solutions and guidance. And I think if people were less apathetic, maybe within our own neighborhoods and communities, we could start making a difference in those grassroots movements that ultimately, I think, make the largest difference of all. And listen to experts like yourself with a couple of decades of teaching and working in the firearms industry. Beth, thank you. Uh, and thank you to the everyone over there at USCCA. Over the years, you've been a, a, a valued resource for me and for this show. Oh, thank you, David, for, for your kind words and for what you do for our community. We appreciate you immensely. Have a happy 4th of July. Celebrate our nation's birthday, founded, by the way, by those uh, guys and girls who knew how to properly use firearms and execute a little land grab from the great (laughs) empire, as it were. Uh, Beth, thank you so much. Thank you. Happy Independence Day. Beth Alcazar, author of Women's Handgun and Self-Defense Fundamentals, associate editor of Concealed Carry Magazine and creator of the USCCA Women's Focused Blog. You can join me live on The David Webb Show Monday to Friday, 9 to noon East on Sirius XM Patriot 125.